Tough job, Pat. Thank you. Someone had to do it. So, hey, my name is Marie, and I'm an alcoholic. You know, Saturday afternoons on a conference, I don't know about you, all I want to do is sleep. You know, I think it's a food hit you, the carbs get in, and you're just tired. So I appreciate each and every one of you coming tonight, uh, coming this afternoon. I do. I understand. So we've just went through the thing about watching, right? And now they're asking us to pray and meditate and pause. Now I've got to talk about the pause. I'm really, really, really good at pausing. I am. But then something happens. I don't know what happens. I lurch. I pause and then I lurch. You know, and what I do is I don't pause sometimes, but I'm building an ammunition center behind me to use later. Right? And so pause has been the greatest gift that's been given to me and one of the hardest things to practice. You know, um, I was speaking to someone here today, and I hope he doesn't mind, but what he was saying is what he does is he walks away from the situation, he goes and he washes his hands, and then he goes back out into his, his environment. Well, see, when I started beginning this journey, and you're telling me to pause, I would go wash my hands, and I would be getting angrier. And then I would come out with my fists out going and my judgments going. You know, so that took practice. And like I said, at 17 years, I came into that slam because I was behaving like that. And you know what Alcoholics Anonymous is about my behavior. How am I behaving? I'm watching my behavior. I'm watching inside of myself. I'm watching my thoughts. And what step 10 and 11 is doing now, we're seeking through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. We're watching the power within us in 10, and now he's given some power for us to carry that out. And so in step 11, you know, this seeking, I've been a seeker since I was a little girl. I don't know about you, but when I was a little girl, I, I believed in God, and I believed in, in all the mighty things he could do. It was just wonderful. But then something happens along the way. And most of the time that happens for me is usually within myself, I'm not living up to the moral code that my parents have set for me. My parents were very good, upstanding citizens. My father, like I said, was a war vet, and my mother was a stay-at-home mother, and they laid some real values to us. So when I started drinking, my values went down the tube. And so I become guilty, right? So when I come into Alcoholics Anonymous, I get sober. I'm physically sober in 72 hours. You can't get any more sober than that as far as your body is concerned. It is done, right? The alcohol's gone. You're feeling good. Maybe a little detoxing going on. But usually within 72 hours, we're feeling a heck of a lot better than we did 72 hours before. And now what happens is I come in here, and now I have to detox myself from the behaviors that I had and the judgments I had and the way I acted in life. And so what step 11 is asking me is to seek. Seek through prayer and meditation to improve. If I'm improving on something, that means I have a piece of something to make it better. And that's what 11 is about. And, you know, when Pat read I'm in a discipline, we're in discipline lot, I am. I can start something, and I can be so good. And then two hours later, I'm not thinking about it again. You know, and so with prayer and meditation, it's become a consistent and a persistent practice. So what does that look like? 
Well, in the beginning when I started, I would read the third step prayer every morning. I would say the serenity prayer. I'd say the seventh step prayer. And those prayers are still incorporated into my practice. But it's different. Because it used to be rote. I was raised a Catholic. Give me a prayer and I tell you what, I can memorize it and I can say it backwards for you. You know, I didn't know the meaning. And what for me when I came in, it's a, you know, when I came in and my sponsor is having me go through step 11, and these, in the prayer, you know, it says um, prayer, prayer is very personal too, right? And I don't pray for anyone. I wish I could tell you I do, but I don't anymore. What I do is I do pray for peace and prosperity for you all. I really do. But I pray to ask God to show me how I can be helpful to you. That is a hard prayer because I'm putting myself on the line is how, I, how can I be helpful to you in this prayer? You know, and I didn't take my prayers too seriously. I was, I was that and, and I was over. You know, it's just so rude. When I came into AA, got myself a sponsor, slammed into the wall at 17 years because I wasn't practicing watching and I wasn't doing the prayer and meditation. And that's where I began to grow. You know, step 11, it says here, suggests prayer and meditation. Well, I'll tell you, one time I really kind of said, well, it's just a suggestion, you know. <laughs> and you hear through AA, you know, you know, you can jump out of an airplane. The parachute suggests that you call, you pull the rip cord. I hear that all the time, but it's the truth. It's, it has saved my life and has saved my relationships. That's what Step Eleven has done. And I have a, I had a sponsor who would say, "How's your Step Eleven going, Maria?" And I'm going, "Yeah, it's going really good." She goes, "Okay, you won't mind me having a conversation with Dave then, because it's how I behave is how I'm really doing Step Eleven." How am I treating the ones I love? How am I treating my animals? How am I treating my husband? How am I treating my kids? How am I treating the grocery clerk at the store? How am I treating the service, the, the service staff when I'm out to work? You know? So, um, you know, and it says, it, it also says, and he says, use, are using it constantly. They're using the word constantly in the book. Um, take a look and see what constantly means, but I think that means all the time. You know, and I, again, I'm a woman who doesn't do anything constantly, you know. And it says if we have the proper attitude, you know, I used to think it was a chore to get up in the morning, sit down, do the prayers, meditate, go. You know, I go, I can't, I, I can't, I can't, I can't. I'm too busy. My mind doesn't stop. I would think of every kind of excuse in the world not to give the one thing that has saved my life in this relationship with this creator, this mighty creator, I wasn't giving him the time. I was giving him the same time at three years as I was at 17 or 18. And in the last 10 years, it's really changed, and it's changed my life. That's why when I was asked to do this conference, I said, you know what, I'm going to do this. Because this, I can come in here and I can get dry bones. And my bones get so dry that I, I can have, I am so dry and I'm so cranky, and I was so cranky, and I didn't like you, and AA was starting to really look ugly. I knew I was in trouble. I knew I was in trouble. And it wasn't at the point that I needed to go through the steps again. I needed to start living step 10 and 11, and that's my journey. And thank God for the sponsor I had who said, where's your 10 and 11 in your daily life? It wasn't there. It wasn't there. I would tell you I was praying, didn't have time for meditation. I'm too tired. Now, you see, I thought when you prayed and you meditated, when you meditated, I was thinking of 
you know, sitting in a lotus position, you know. But in 1935, all they meant was guided thinking. That's all they meant. So it asks us on, so we'll start with the night. And I think Bill was really smart how he wrote the book. He says, when we retire at night, he started with us at night. Now, for me, this is where the writing comes for me. Now, not everybody writes it, but I write it. It's totally your call, but for me. I have the questions written down, and I ask myself, and it says, when we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Constructively means purposefully. That's what that means. I'm looking at my day in a purpose. I catch what I didn't catch in 10 and 11. That's what happens with 10, with 11. you know. And so I ask myself, was I resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? I just ask those questions. Now, I'll put no next to the question, but I don't have to write it out. I knew what I was resentful for. I was resentful at my husband that he didn't go in the backyard and trim the tree like I asked him to do. I was resentful to the grocery clerk who put the eggs on the bottom of the, the thing and decided to put a heavy piece of meat on top of the eggs, okay? So, you know, it's just, you know, and I had an attitude. You know, it's, I may not say a word, but this face, I have to train. <laughs> I have to train the face. You know, so, and then it says we have cut, do we owe an apology? Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Today, these days, I can honestly tell you the answer is no. But there's been times when I have to, right? And then it asks us, um, have we kept something to ourselves which should have been discussed with another person at once? Sometimes I go to bed and I find out I didn't because of fear or time. Maybe I didn't have time that day. I don't know. But I'm honest with myself. This is the first time I sit down and I'm admitting these things to myself because I'm trying to change. I'm trying to have God discipline me in a way, you know, just change me. Behavior. I want recovery. I don't want to be the same woman I was even last year. I want to continue to grow. I look at myself like a potted plant. You have these pot, potted plants and you, you cannot keep them in the same pot for years, man. The, the roots will come out and they'll die. So I, I look at as though God looks at me as I'm his potted plant. And he lets me know when it's time to move to a bigger pot. And let's get you growing over here. It's always about growing. Because if, if you ain't growing, you ain't, you're going to be going. And I just want to keep growing. You know, I'm here and I'm at 28 years sober. And I'm hearing people at 30 and 40 years sobriety going out drinking especially during the Zoom era, during the COVID. And it's like, holy mackerel, you know. And I think it's this, this contact with God. I think it's this 10 and 11, to be very honest with you. And like I said, I am not scared of dying with this disease. I'm scared of living with this disease because it won't take me quickly, but I'll hurt everybody else around me. And that's where the fear comes for me. You know, and so, so then, you know, is that kind and loving um, toward all? Really? Kind and loving to all? <laughs> you know, there was some days where I didn't talk to anybody. When I was working, I really didn't talk to anybody. I had my head down and I wasn't talking to anybody. And people would come to my office and they would ask me questions and I would kind of brush them off because I was too busy. And so I looked during my day and I, I diminished Agnes and I kind of diminished, you know, kind of like get them out of my get them out of my hair. And the most precious thing we have is time for each other. That's a precious, precious thing we have. 
And so I have to look at loving and kind, not only like going out and giving somebody some soup or whatever, but how am I treating the people in my life? Huh. You know, sometimes I don't want to because I don't like you, you know. Um, I can get really, I don't, there's times I just don't want it because I don't like you. And that's when I have to ask God for more help, right? Because it's not about liking somebody. Is there one of God's kids too, you know? Is there one of God's kids too? A little, little broken maybe, but they're one of God's kids too. You know, and then what could we have done better? What could we have done better for, during the day? And some days I have a great day, nothing. It was a wonderful day, but then there's some days I go, I could have treated him or her with more respect. Hmm. Maybe I should have picked that litter up that was on the floor that I walked over. Something silly, you know, something as simple as that, you know? And then where we think of ourselves most of the time, now come on, we're alcoholics. Let's get real here. I think about myself all the time, you know? But I've learned to think about you. And when I'm thinking about you, I get out of the way and I let God come in, right? I had a sponsor who said to me, because I used to say, I don't like people. I don't like people. You know, I can go to A. I don't like people. And she goes, Marie, if you don't like one of God's people, then you don't like God. And I said, hmm. I started thinking about that. And as I continue on this journey, it's very true. When I separate myself from you in any way, shape, or form, I'm now getting doing God's job. How can, if I don't like you, how can I like here? It's connected. It's connected, you know. And then it, it asks us, uh, and I didn't understand this question for the longest time. Or we were thinking of ourselves, what we could do for others, of what we can pack into the stream of life. What was Bill talking about? I didn't understand that. And what I was told, it was, what was I doing to bring, bring life, you know, what was I doing to bring happiness and joy to people's life? Me, as I went to the grocery store and I gave the, the girl behind the desk a smile. Um, I went out of the grocery store and, you know, the self-check. I didn't check something. Thing. It was $15. I didn't pay. I turned around and, went and paid the $15. You know, um, the gas tank, um, I saw a woman with two children, and I just do a kind act. The kids are driving her nuts. She's trying to put gas in the car, and the kids are screaming. You know, and in today's world with strangers, it's very difficult. But what I did is I said, listen, why don't you get in the car, and I'll hold your gas for you. You know, I'll take care of this gas for you, put it in, and go. So the kindness is what we do. You know, and I'm telling you, you're talking to a woman who did not have a kind bone in her body. Because all I did was think about myself. Not only where I was going to get the next drink, who am I going to rip off next? And where is the enjoyment for me? It's all about me. Right? And it says, you know, and after making a review, we ask God's forgiveness and what corrective measure we can make. What an awesome question. What can we do better? Right? Is that what we should do better? Oh, I shouldn't have done that? It's like, what can I do better? When I sit and do this nightly review, it's like, what can I do better that I could, didn't do yesterday? And some days I do the 11th step, and it's like a check. I'm not perfect. I'm not in th- I don't bounce in there and, oh, this is great. I'm going to do 11th step. And really happy? No. It says when we retire at night, it doesn't mean when I'm going to bed. 
It means when the lights start going off, the dog's been walked, you know, the TV's going off because it's time to go to bed, I will do the 11-step then. It's not right before I go to bed because once I hit the bed, the head goes in the pillow and we're a done deal, especially when I was working. That was it. So I've learned to do retire at night any time after 5, five o'clock. I would, that's when I would start doing it. So I wasn't really strict about that. But, you know, that nightly review is so, was so important to me because what the nightly review does for me is it kicks me off to the next day. It kicks me off when, it, when I wake up in the morning on awakening. Now, when I wake up in the morning, I, need a, I wake up in the morning, I don't know about you guys, and even today, I've got these two vultures that sit on the end of my bed, and I call them Mutt and Jeff. And when I wake up, it's, oh, my God. Why did I say yes to this conference? You're not going to want me to do this conference. Oh, Marie, why are you going over over there? Oh, my God, I have got to talk to my sister. Oh, Marie, you're just a piece of crap. Whatever it is, it's a negative voice that comes in, and it comes every morning I wake up. I really wish I could tell you that it's not, but Mutt and Jet visit me. And they're vultures, and vultures love to pick on bones. They love it. And so what I do is I crawl over and I roll on my knees. Until I couldn't roll on my knees. I have bad knees. So now I just get out of bed. I say, okay, God, I see you and I hear you. What can I do for you today? And so I get up and I go to the bathroom. I get a cup of coffee and I find myself and I call it a prayer chair. Same chair every day. Every single day. Every single day. And now sometimes I sit down in that chair and I go, okay, here I am. Because it's a consistent and a persistent practice. It's the same thing every day, doing it every day. And then all of a sudden it started to come alive for me. And I started praying. You know, and I felt kind of weird because I'm not that kind of a woman that would take that time out and, you know, with the Lord, you know, as they call it or whatever. I'm not like that. But what I do is I, I call down my mighty creator. And I ask him to guide me this day. And I pray. And I ask him, and I look, up, I, look up, you know, I look at the day ahead. I consider the plans of the day ahead before I start praying. And I go, oh, my God, I'm going to have coffee with Jennifer today. I really don't want to do that. <laughs> oh, my God, i got to take this sponsee who blows my hair back. It's, what's Marion? Marion and who says that? Blows her hair back. And I got to sit down and go through the steps with her. But her eyes are going in all different kinds of directions, and I got to take time out for her. You know, so I consider my days, and I lay that before, before whatever, before the day, before God. Right? You know, this the eleven step. The eleven step is one of the most powerful steps. And it combines six and seven as well into it for me, my character defects and things, you know. And um, so then I start my prayer life up. Now it goes like this. I sit in my chair. When, it be, when I start beginning, I'm sitting in my chair because I was told to sit in a chair. And I was told to sit in this chair because I'm supposed to do it consistently and persistently every day. And I have a little journal. And I was asked to write in this little journal every day, just a little thing, you know. 
And there's some days I didn't want to, so I'd put an X on the page, and I'd say, here you go, God. And I'd shut the page, but I did it. You see, I did it. It's like going to the gym and sitting down, and you don't want to do 25-pound weights. You're going to just do five. But you're there every day. You're doing what you need to do. I go to work every day. I don't want to go to work, but I go to work every day because i got to put foot on the table and help with the seventh tradition of my family. I don't want to do it every day, but I go every day. No matter what, it's all about the attitude. So when it comes to prayer and meditation for me, it's all about my attitude. And so the attitude started to change. It started to change. You know why? I started to see results. I started to see results. I couldn't believe it. I started seeing results after about three months. I started seeing results. And now this meditation. She said, just sit there and watch. Your brain's going, I don't know about you, but my brain's going 100 miles an hour, and there's a mess going up there, and there's a traffic jam up there, and I don't know what's going on. I'm sitting there, and she wants me to be silent for three minutes? Three minutes? That's a long time. When I'm starting, that was a long time. In fact, I was going looking at my watch, and, and, I, and I'm meditating. These thoughts are just coming through. And I'm like, I can't be having these thoughts. I thought you were supposed to clear your mind. It's not that's what it's about. These thoughts come through, and I let them go like a barge down the river. They come through, and I let them go. And I always have a journal. I I am a journaler, and I believe in the journal. And in the prayer and the meditation part is where I really can't emphasize the change that I've had since I've started it. And I get my sponsees to do it too, right? And so when I am meditating, what has changed now, now my meditation practice is up to 20 minutes every single day. How did I get there? Practice. Freaking practice. And accepting the thoughts that I'm having. Not arguing with myself, saying I shouldn't have these thoughts. It's not going to work. Because that's what my ego will tell me. My ego does not want me to get any better. God, uh, Bill says we have to get rid of alcohol. We have to smash the we have to um, smash the ego, and get rid of selfishness of centeredness. Those three things. So I have to smash my ego. How do I do that? I just ignore it. It dies out of ignorance. Just ignoring it. Just letting it come and go, right in that you know. But I'm finding that for me, when when I'm meditating, sometimes I get these thoughts, and he, and I'll share with one. I share a couple of them with you when I'm in, when I'm in meditation. And I'm really sitting there in silence. And sometimes I have guided meditation. You know, there's insight timer out there. That, you know, there's things you can do. But for me, I really like the silence. I always begin with a welcoming prayer, whatever you guys do, whatever you do. And then I go into this silence. And in this silence, there's always a small whisper somewhere. And so I'm doing the meditation, and the next thing I know is this thought came, call Kathy. Didn't think anything of it. Didn't think, didn't think of it. Thought came again. Call Kathy. Well, anyway, I got done with my meditation. And about, you know, that day sometime I called. I, there's five Kathys I know, five. <laughs> K's and C's. So I thought, well, I'll call them all because I don't know what they're talking about. So I called them all, and I get down to the last Kathy. They're all fine, you know. Hey, how you doing? Just call them to say hi, you know. Just, you know, didn't tell them why. Just gave them a call. The last Kathy I call. 
and she picked up the phone, and she was crying. And um, she just walked into her brother's suicide. Is that odd, or is that God? And um, I was able to be there for her at that moment when Wayne took his life. You know, God talks to us in our meditation and as we walk this path. It's a, you know, is our radio station tuned to it? And that's what meditation does. It tunes me in to the, um, tunes me in to, to God, creator, spirit, whatever. I've had some odd things happen in the, in, when I moved back to the United States, um, I was living in, in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, and this this thought came. I had a, a really strong thought, and it says, "Why don't you go? No, watch the holes today. Watch the holes today. You know where mine will go with that one." And I so I thought. Um, all right, that's uh, I can do that. Now I have to drive from German Tennessee, I mean Eads, Tennessee, to my meeting in Germantown every single day, which was like a forty-minute drive for me to go back and forth. And as I am going, not thinking, I go to the meeting, and now I'm coming home, and I'm kind of tired. I just had a really, um, a really good, good. Um, sit down with a girl knee to knee with the book. It was really, really good. And as I was coming down the street called Humphreys Road, I stopped. And it was raining that day. It was really raining in Memphis that day. And I went down, and there happened to be a car in front of me that there was a whole the side of the road had gone out out and there was a side. If, if I was going, my right hand, my right hand tire would have gone into that and I was able to, to turn. Now, I wasn't really watching for holes, but because I was aware, you know. My God speaks to me in the weirdest ways. I am talking the strangest ways. When my son, you know, my son, like I told you all, for seven years he didn't talk to me, he didn't trust me, he didn't want anything to do with me for seven years. Seven years. And so now we've got this relationship. And so by the time he started talking to me, he was 18 when he stopped. He was about 26 when he started, maybe 27 when he started talking to me again. Now he's now he's in his 40s, and he's got these two grandkids. And um, we were out, um, and I was meditating, and this and this this voice said, "Luke." That's all it said. Now you could think it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can think it's, it's Luke, but Luke is my grandson. Now they're not living with me. They're living in Hong Kong. I am living in the United States at this point. And I had this strong, strong urge. You know, I don't know if you've ever had that before where God will call you in a way. And he called me, and I just happened to call my son and I said, Hey, Paul, how's it going over there? You were in my thoughts. Luke had just fallen and broken his arm. You know, so I mean, and some good things happen too in my meditations too. But I do believe that the voice of God for me, for me, comes in and how to behave and how to treat you all, right? And so it says, um, you know, it says, nevertheless, 
we will find that our thinking will, as time passes beyond more and more on the plane of inspiration, we become to reply, uh, uh, rely upon it. I absolutely re- rely on my meditation. I absolutely rep- rely on my prayer for step 11. You know, um, you know, now let's go to the pause. <laughs> you know, like I told you, I'm really good at pause. It says, as we go through the day, we pause and we're agitated or doubtful. I forget about the doubtful. The agitation is really, really, really easy. Really easy. When I'm agitated, I know I need a pause. It's gotten a lot better. And what I do is when I pause, I do step out. If I can step away from the situation, and if I can't, I just ask God to put the biggest dang zipper or duct tape across my mouth because my mouth gets me in a lot of trouble. And also for God to give me the face, not to let him know how I really feel. I really have a face, and I can have some real facial expressions, and that can do more harm than good. It really can. So I've really trying to help it. You know, I was working on it so hard one time that I'm smiling, and they're thinking I'm being disrespectful to them. You know, because, you know, I want to smack the shit out of them, and they're smiling, you know. But, you know, and it says, you know, and agitated we're doubtful. You know, do I move or do I stay? Do I take this job or don't I take this job? Do I call her and tell her what I really think? Do I tell him this? You know, these doubtful things, you know, I never paused. I always, I always made a choice and went in with it, and it didn't matter. I have made some rash decisions in my sobriety, very rash decisions. Um, I know that I let a sponsee go. I'm not proud of it. I let a sponsee go on the whim because I was mad at her, you know, and that's been healed. You know, and so I had to make these rash decisions, and I knew that, especially early sobriety, like, oh, I think it's a really good idea that I st- I'm married now, right? I'm married. I mean, well, it's all right if I, you know, sit next to Bill for a while. It's all right, right? And I wasn't being respectful to my husband. This is, I'm only two years sober, right? You know, and I would make decisions of, um, I can't even think about it right now. But there's just decisions and these doubts that you have, right? We have these doubts. And it says, and ask for the right thought or action. Now, that's where I have problems with. I can pause, and I walk away, and I know I'm supposed to pause. I know I'm pausing. I'm doing a really good job. But now what? I ask for right thought or action. It doesn't help. Because I'm too agitated. I'm too agitated to come back to you. And I think if I pause, you're going to think there's something wrong with me, or i got to make sure I tell you. And in that pause, I didn't ask God. I forget about him sometimes. I don't know about you guys. Sometimes my last thought is not God. I mean, my first thought's not God. It's always my last thought. But today I've learned he's my first thought. And if I ask God for the right thought or action... I do pretty good. Not all the time, but pretty good. Pause isn't easy. I think it's one of the hardest disciplines is pausing. You know, it really is. You know, I get pinged, I call it. I call, I get pinged. And, I, and um, I'll call somebody right away and say, hey, I've been pinged, man. I am about to either make a really bad decision or I'm really going to do some harm to this person with my mouth. 
you know, because I can be really mouthy. And things just shoot out of mouth. Sarcasm? No more. No more. Doesn't belong in my house anymore. What about uh, playful joking at somebody's expense? I don't do that anymore. I'm not doing my pause. Because I never know who I'm going to hurt. You know, we're a sensitive lot. You know, and I'm one of the sensitives. And I just, I will treat you the way I want to be treated. And that really helps me a lot. That's how I live. How you want me to treat you? I mean, I, if, you, if, I want to be, if I want you to be kind to me, I better be kind to you. If I want you to be my friend, I better make sure I'm a friend. I want to be a worker in the job that was really difficult. I need to be a worker, right? So, um, and we constantly remind ourselves who's running the show. Well, I know I'm not. Let's just take a look at my life. If I look backwards, when I run the show, it doesn't work very well. It really doesn't. And I have experience to tell you that. But, you know, the beautiful thing in Alcoholics Anonymous is I, I've been able and you've allowed me to have my mistakes. There's no trap door that takes you down and says, bye-bye, you're not welcome back. They welcome you back. You know, that's what I love about Alcoholics Anonymous. We're kind, we're courteous, we're respectful. And Al-Anon, the same. You know, my husband will come in and, you know, his slips are very different than mine. You know, mine, mine was with alcohol. His is with, with his behavior, right? I learned so much from my Al-Anon husband. I really do. And he was in Al-Anon before I was in AA, and that was very painful. One who is drinking and you got a husband who's in Al-Anon, right? And so what I've learned through Step 11 in this prayer, meditation, and pause is of my behavior. Am I behaving? What do my actions look like? As I am serving and I have been asked to serve for my home group, am I going in there with a grumpy attitude or am I going in there with a trusted servant heart? And I've been asked to go and meet all these sponsees and I, you know, and they are wanting my help. Am I going there with a grumpy heart or am I going with a trusted servant heart? And how am I doing And when I'm called in the middle of the night? And today I do get them. Three o'clock in the morning and that woman is just drunker than the skunk and wakes me up. I'm not grumpy. I just tell her I'll talk to her in the morning. Call me then. I'm kind. I'll take a 12-step call. I have a story. I was, in, I was in Hong Kong, and I was living over there, and I get the call. And that's the last personal 12-step I've ever done was in Hong Kong. And it was 11 o'clock at night. I had a really busy day in the morning. I had to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning because I was praying and meditating. And um, then I had to go to work, you know, and then I had to pick the kids up from school. La, 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 life. I get a call 11 o'clock at night from the, from the intergroup office. I had put my name down to do 12-step calls. You know, could you put your name down and you never get called, right? You know, you know. Well, I got called. I was so tired, and my first thought was, oh, my God, I don't want to do this. Can't we? See, you're in the morning. And the answer is no. And so myself and three other, two other women, we went to go to this this part of town that's pretty pretty bad, and this woman was really drunk, holed up in a um, in a hotel. Who had her passport was stolen. She was on. She was a tourist. Her passport was stolen, and she was all alone. And she was so drunk. And so I got out of myself, and we were able to help her. 
were able to help her to get some housing for the night, help her to get to the American consulate the next day, and help her. You know, what I found out about Alcoholics Anonymous, it's one inconvenience place sometimes. I get so doggone inconvenience here sometimes, but you know what? I do it anyway. Because if I can do it with a heart, a heart for the love of Alcoholics Anonymous, because a woman was standing for me right there at that door for me when I came in, why would I not be there for the next person who comes? You know, I hear a lot of, and I can only speak for the women, and the women, women tend to, to kind of, this is my opinion, okay, it's an opinion. Um, when you, women around the ages of probably 7 to 15, they're gone. They're gone. They leave. They're gone. They don't come back. They got busy with their families. They got busy with their jobs. Don't you know? I got sober. I got to do my family. I got to take care of my husband. Maybe they get married or whatever. And for me, an Alcoholics Anonymous means a lot that Thea was in that room for me when I walked into the door. And she had, I, was, I had no days, and she had eight, to eight years. And she held my hand through that door. So we owe it to the newcomer. And we not only owe it to the newcomer, we owe it to the man in the room who's suffering 30, 40 years of sobriety or more or younger. And they're not saying a word, but they're grumpy as all out. We owe it to them to sit next to them um, and um, get to know them because they're hurting too. I know at 17 years I would never tell you I was hurting in a room of Alcoholics Anonymous because you put me at a level, I put me at a level that I should know better. I shouldn't have these things. Well, we have them. And in prayer and meditation I find out who I am, who I am and what I'm not and how I'm behaving and how I'm treating you. And in the pause... I learned patience and tolerance and love and tolerance and in that pause, in that pause. The first pause you have in Alcoholics Anonymous is the hour that is given to you after the fourth step. That's your first pause. To Take a look. Did I miss anything? And that's what happens with the pause. Did I miss something? Am I taking this? Am I taking this too personal? You know, get me out of the way and let me see you. And that's what Alcoholics Anonymous has done through me through the step 11. And that's about all I have on the pause, the prayer, and the meditation. So um, thank you so much. And now we lead it as a meeting. Is that what we do, Brian? Well, why don't we just open it up to the floor? You know, and step 11 is one of those spiritual steps that a lot of people just don't know how to talk about it, you know including me when I first started. So um, the floor is open. <laughs> I got to feel God. I got to feel him. I got to have the spiritual revolution. And what it's about is a knowing, a silent knowing, right? And for me, what helps me, too, is to go on, want to spear my spiritual life is to go on a retreat twice a year. It's real important to me. If I can afford it and I can do it, I go. I got a new puppy, you know. <laughs> and um, prayer and meditation, so that quiet times, it's a little bit different. How am I taking, how am I, how, what am I doing to be able to roll with the punches? You know, I got to get up early and catch a plane. So what happens then? 
what happens when you stayed up too late the night before at a meeting or helping somebody else or you're just too doggone tired? What do I do? Well, what I do, and this is me, what I do is I don't give myself a hard time because, you know, the puppy has to go out at the exact same time I want to sit and pray and meditate. So I take Peaches out, and we go to the bathroom, and I bring her back in, and I got her trained. I got her trained. You know, she's five months now, and I got her trained when she comes in to sit down with me. Is it easy? No. Is it different? Yes. And I accept the difference of what's going on. I'm not so hard on myself that it needs to look a certain way. You know, guided meditation is absolutely beautiful, and like I I said, you know, there's apps out there and stuff that really help me too. Anyone else? I am <laughs> well, you know, when I'm grumpy, it's usually not what's happening in the present moment. It's usually something else. Usually. I'm not saying it all the time. It's like this. I went to get a, I'm going to get a cup of coffee, and Brainerd Brown says this, so I, and I noticed it because I did it with my husband. I go and I get a cup of coffee, and then the coffee drops onto the floor, and I yell, Dave! He's not even in the room. He's not even home. You know, my, my, my grand says, Ma, Grandma, you say, Dave, Dave, a lot, and I do. You know, and so what happened is the night before, Dave told me he was going to do something, and he didn't do it. And I woke up grumpy when I saw it out on the table. So then, like a sieve, I'm trying to be all calm and calm doing the prayer meditation, and it comes out like a sieve, and all of a sudden the dog. Oh, my God. Or my kids. Now, when I say I want to get rid of this, there's something, a caveat to that. I must be willing. You know, when Bill says in the sixth step, um, I think it's somewhere where in the 12 and 12 where he says, sometimes we don't want to get rid of these things. Yeah, right? And so sometimes I don't want to because if I am anger, I am in a place of superiority, baby, and I got hold the room. I hold the room, you know, and, and it's, it's embarrassing to talk about this for 28 years, you know, but that's what we do. That's what we do. And if I can admit that to myself, I can admit that that's what I am, and I'm willing for God to enter into me, to change me, then perhaps I will change. But if I fight it, and I want, I want, I want what I really want, I really want him to pick up those things that he told me he was going to do and put them away. You know? And I stand there, I stand there, and I think, my, one of my, Mary said to me, Marie, you like a Mexican standoff. Oh, I do. I like a Mexican standoff. You know, and it's, it's and, and I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like being sarcastic. I don't like being gossipy. I don't. I don't because it harms me. And I harm me, I harm you. 
If I'm transmitting this, if I've got it, that's all I'm going to transmit. It's going to come out the side. And that superiority of anger for me, (laughs) I can live with that all day long. I don't live with it anymore because it separates me from you. And how important is it? How important is it, Marie, that he picked that you didn't pick that up? How important is it? And so through the prayer and meditation is where I found out that I maybe I was doing a little bit too much gossiping. You know? And in prayer and meditation is where I found out that the sarcasm I was hurting people's feelings. And I also, you know, I also am a woman who with this anger, superiority and grandiosity. And I also like a parade when I'm doing something. (laughs) You do something, you better give me credit for it. No matter what that, no matter what it is, if if one of my sponsees says something like, they say it like they said it, and I'm the one who said it, I'm like, what the heck? That was my word. That was my line. That was my line. You know, that's why you'll hear me always try when I am speaking. If I know where I've heard that from, I will put their name in front of it. But remember this, Alcoholics Anonymous is filled with recycled wisdom. And I'm not really sure sometimes who the recycler is, you know. So, but, um, okay, that's all the best answer I got for you. (laughs) Okay, somebody else? Thank you, Leigh. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you.